0: Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson.
1: Thanks for being with us today. Today we have a really interesting show. We have Rosie McKinney. She's the founder of Fight for Love Ministries and that equips women with the faith and the facts to take back their marriages from porn. She's also an author with Lifeway, Lifeway and the host of the popular Fight for Love podcast. Rosie, thank you so much for, for being with me today. Hey, Lee. It's my pleasure to be talking to you today. You know, and I just have to, I always, am so transparent, but I have to start off with the question that from the moment I, I met you, I had in my, my head, and that's why did you found Fight for Love Ministries? That's a great
0: question. Well, I think the most honest answer is that this is what I needed 15 years ago, and I wanted to save other people from having to learn everything that I had to learn the hard way. And uh, in my recovery community, I found that there are a lot of other women who felt exactly the same. So we were like, let's get out there. Let's give people the facts and the faith to actually tackle this head on and save each other quite a lot of pain.
1: So what I hear then is that you have been in these women's shoes that you're trying to help now, that you've, you've dealt with the devil, the the porn devil.
0: Yes, I've actually done this particular journey twice. And uh, so one way that went horribly wrong because I uh, tried all the things that don't work And I tried very, very hard and he remained unrepentant and everything fell apart. And then I got married and uh, very, very soon into our marriage, I realized that this was the same problem. And I just had what I would describe as like a PTSD reaction. I went, no, I'm not doing this again. I know where this leads. I can't do this enough. Either you get help or that's it. And so inadvertently, I did exactly the right thing, but I hadn't got a clue that it was the right thing to do at that stage, that actually that firm line in the sand during that boundary is the only
1: way that you can really tackle this. Well, you know, pornography, it, it's a huge, it's a billion dollar industry. And I think that it's really changed with the advances that the internet has provided. I mean, I, I've had parents tell me that they have found their children in porn sites and they honestly believed and I agreed that they had no intention of going there. They just kind of somehow fell into it.
0: Absolutely. They the studies now show that the average age of exposure to porn is anywhere between eight and eleven.
1: Yeah.
0: People are just falling into this all over the place. It's not a question of, you know, if my child um will get exposed. It's like when they'll get exposed. And we really do need to prepare them for what to do if they do see it accidentally or if someone shows it to them. Um, Yeah, most people who are addicted, they fell into this really young, you know, this is not people who go, do you know what, I'm going to really mess up my life by becoming addicted to this stuff. It it just doesn't happen like that.
1: Well, and I don't think anybody wants to get addicted. I don't think there's anybody that starts off, you know, having a drink or I mean, smoking a cigarette and says, you know, I want to get addicted to this. It's it's a way of self-medicating and addiction lives in the brain. I mean, you do those things that give you pleasure and you get the brain dumping out all this dopamine that confuses those neurons and dendrites. And the neurons and dendrites are like, oh well, I I like it and now, now I want it and ooh, now I need it. So that- it's it's not just a choice.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It it uh You're right. Our brains literally get hijacked by this stuff. But what is different, I think, with this particular threat is that we, you know, the majority of people don't even realize that it is a threat. Like we kind of know with alcohol, we know that they're going to be consequences if you compulsively do it. And with drugs, you know, we we understand that there's a collective understanding. But with pornography, we pump these messages that this is harmless. This is beneficial to relationships. This is liberating and empowering and, you know, This is the way to become an independent, savvy female, you know, get with the program, you know, watch it with him. Not understanding
1: the true ramifications of getting sucked into this stuff. Well, you know, and it certainly is not sex education. I mean, I've heard all kinds of reasons given on why they they did get sucked into the program. And that was one I thought, I don't think it's it's a stand in for sex education
0: well i heard it it's a bit like watching fast and furious to learn how to drive it's like it's <laughs> not you know, this is not sex this is not healthy sex this is you know everything you know completely opposite this is violent and misogynistic and this is not mutually beneficial this is degrading and all those things this is not sex ed- education it is highly highly toxic and damaging in all sorts of regards
1: well and you know I some people think well only bad people get in, involved with porn but I know I know there's some pastors I mean pastors have had porn problems and oh, I've t- seen that I mean so it's not that you're a bad person it's it's a real problem I saw a statistic that said 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors admit that they've struggled with porn, either now or in the past. And that study was from 2016. With what the internet's done in the last five years, I wonder if those numbers aren't higher.
0: Yeah, I would would say they're quite conservative.
1: And just look at the numbers of youth doing it. You know, our, our biggest
0: user group are 12 to 17 year olds, and our fastest growing user group are females. You know, this is, and this is not, you know, women in their 30s and 40s, this is young women. You know, the younger you are, the more likely you are to be to be pulled into this stuff. And it's you know, I have I have many, many, you know, stories and experiences of talking to parents of 10 year old girls. These are wonderful, you know, girls. They're on the ballet team. They're on the swim team. And they've just got this secret life going on because they've had an unmonitored monitor in their bedroom and nobody knew.
1: Wow. So what do you say to those parents?
0: I say, first of all, don't beat yourself up. You know, you didn't know because that's a big temptation, you know, to to go down that road of, you know, oh, I should have seen this. If you if you don't know it's out there, you don't know it's out there. But now, you know, better you can do better.
1: Well, I think that there certainly is, you know, a lot that parents need to know. Um, and I know I, as a parent, I can't imagine what would I would feel if I learned that my child was in the room accessing porn, but I think that there's many things that you can do. I know you've written a book and that book was Fight for Love that, you know, in a little while, perhaps you can you can tell us a little bit about because there are some things that we can all benefit from. And there's got to be, I look at everything from how the brain works and there's got to be some neuroscience behind why people struggle with watching porn. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about what goes on with porn. And and I I mentioned the neuroscience behind it. That's how the brain works and and the choices that the brain makes. Um, You know, people say that probably someone that's drawn to porn is someone that doesn't have a high sexual satisfaction. I don't know how true that is uh, or not true. I think that Many people feel like they're a bad person, you know, they're worthless or they're broken um, because they they feel so much shame when they're watching porn. They feel like it's wrong. Um, But often shame is used as a beating stick that we just weakens and demoralizes us. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, uh, you know, shame is the one thing that we want to avoid at all costs, especially with our children and especially with a partner who's struggling as well, you know. It's uh, if you can come alongside your partner, um, you know, even better.
1: Well, let's talk about that, because, you know, I think that it would be very hard to when you find your partners doing this is to kind of go beside them and say, OK, you know, we'll get through this. I think my a natural first reaction would be, you idiot. You know, why are you doing this? You're taking away from from me.
0: Yeah. And, and I would support that. I would absolutely support those um, reactions and I think it's healthy and it's really beneficial for him or her to experience your anger, your distress, your, um, you know, how it feels to be deceived and betrayed in this way. And it's important that you express that. When I'm saying come alongside, this is more like a proactive conversation that you might have with someone who you, you know, you haven't really ever had the conversation maybe you're dating or something, or you suspect it might be going on, but you're not really sure as opposed to actually being blindsided with evidence in front of you that this has been going on behind your back. Then you're, then you're, you know, quite naturally going to be upset. And that's important because it is traumatic. And that's, you know, I really, uh, I really want to uh, validate that it is incredibly traumatic. It actually is traumatic for the wife.
1: So are there some red flags? I mean, how do, you, how do you find out this is going on? Great question. Yeah, there's red flags inside the bedroom
0: and there's red flags outside the bedroom. So you might naturally assume that if your husband or partner or wife is um, compulsively using pornography, they're going to become more hypersexual. They're going to be perhaps coercing you into doing stuff, maybe manipulating you, maybe making you feel pressured. That kind of makes sense. Um, because they want to imitate what they've seen. They want to, you know, get in that headspace and and use you, basically. Um, or, but the other thing that people don't really understand is that a lot, I would say perhaps even 50% of compulsive porn users actually become sexually avoidant with their real partner. They've conditioned their brains to be aroused by this isolated voyeuristic experience as opposed to interacting with a real person. And that is absolutely devastating so there are the the sort of two ways that you can spot it in the bedroom well what you mentioned you can also spot it outside the bedroom yeah yeah and I had no comprehension of this but once I you know got into recovery and started reading literature I was like oh my goodness you know everything fell into place and it's like oh that's the reason he's so irritable he's so um, disinterested in things that used to interest him and he's critical and you know, just so quick to be angry and things like, what is going on? And they've proven now, the studies have proven that the more porn you watch, the more dissatisfied you become with your partner's attractiveness, their sexual performance, and sort of general uh, decision-making process, your happiness with the relationship in general, it really does
1: poison all aspects of your relationship. And people need to understand that. So let's say you you you've got an inkling. You think that, you know, your your partner is indulging in porn. What do you do? How do you approach that person? What do you say? Yeah, that it's tricky.
0: And I'd say one way you could start is to throw you under the busley and say, I've been listening to this radio show and they were talking about this, and I've realized we've never really had a conversation about this. Um, That would be one one way to approach the conversation. But before you even do that, I'd say there are a couple of steps that you can do before that to prepare yourself. And one of them would be to just educate yourself on what is actually going on in his brain, possibly in your relationship. And that will give you the confidence that this is nothing to do with you. No matter what pushback you might receive, like, ah, oh, this is because, you know, we don't have sex enough or this is because, you know, you've put on weight or all other, you know, ridiculous reasons that, you know, women are told. Um, you, you can stand firm and go, no, this is the addiction talking. This is not true. I know it's not true. And, you know, you can keep going. And the other thing I'd say, so one is educate yourself. What is going on in his brain? Why is he so crazy? The second one is get find support. And there are lots of places that you can go, lots of ministries, organizations that will instantly plug you into a community of other women who are going through exactly the same thing. And they will validate your experience and help you start to clear the fog and strengthen you so that you can actually do that stage three, which is have that conversation, start to put your boundaries in and explain that we've got a hole in the boat. And I know you didn't mean to cause a hole in the boat, but here's the thing. There's a hole in the boat and it needs fixing. It's going to get worse. It's letting in water. And if you're not able to do anything about it, I'm going to do something because I'm in the boat with a hole. in. You know, I'm, I'm sitting in it as well and I'm getting wet. So, you know, things are changing now. And I'd really love to for both of us to work on this together and fix this together. But if you're not able to do that, I'm going ahead and getting into
1: recovery for myself. And I guess the hard part is, is that you have to, you have to walk your talk. Yep. Yep. Say you're going to do it, then you got to go do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's two ways that you can actually walk the walk is one, you do it my way, which is you have (laughs) this previous experience and you learn everything the hard way, or you do it through education and support. And I really strongly recommend you, uh, you know, choose option B. Don't learn everything the hard way. You know, every single woman that I have talked to who has got into recovery was th- what got her there was being forced to a point of desperation, absolutely on her knees. She had tried everything and nothing worked apart from this firm line. Um, and wow. and I just want to expedite that process and say, do it earlier, do it proactively, do it through education, get support, get strengthened, have the conversation um, instead of coming to the point where his brain is so completely addled your heart is completely traumatized your relationships on the rocks and then you go we need to get into recovery it's like no let's stop that you know let's not do marriage counseling for 10 years without mentioning the fact that there's a porn issue in the marriage we've worked on our communication skills and nothing seems to be getting better it's like you've got to deal with the pornography you really have
1: so do you find that that pornography Pornography is the underlying issue for other areas? I mean, I, certainly you said it changes, you know, it may change the, the person's sexuality. They may become hypersexual or they may not want to engage in, with sex with a real person. And it certainly would, I think, would impact the way they make decisions, um, how impulsive they are. Do you find that when you get far enough into it that you don't have control of it, that it controls you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it just um,
0: the brain is functioning the same way as any other addiction. You know, this is a process addiction like gambling. It will take you over. And unfortunately, we try and fix it by saying, oh, we just need to have more sex without actually thinking it through and going, well, hang on, gambling's a process addiction. We're not trying to fix that by throwing a suitcase. at them." <laughs> um, you know, we don't really think it through. It's going, no, it's those chemicals in their brain. And they're using those chemicals, as you rightly said, as a coping mechanism. You know, pornography is not the problem. Pornography is actually quite an effective solution to a deeper problem, which is an intimacy disorder. This is how they've learned to medicate. This is a really highly effective way of soothing yourself, which then, you know, once it becomes compulsive and your brain takes over and actually changes, makes changes in the brain that actually causes your baseline of happiness to to drop so that you need a hit of your drug to feel normal. And also your drug is losing its potency as you become tolerant to it. So you have to basically access more material or darker material or more shocking material in order to actually get the hit that will make you feel normal. That's a spiral of addiction. You know, it's just horrific.
1: Well, you know, you're you're so right because it's like any other drug. Your body builds up immunity to it. You know, I used to drink a bottle of wine and get high as a kite, and now I have to drink three bottles of wine to to get that same high feeling.
0: Exactly, it's exactly the same, and the internet is why we've had this huge explosion in pornography addiction because it is far more potent than the videos and the magazines that were the only thing that used to be available. Because what happens with the internet is that there's endless novelty. So instead, if you, you know, we're using the uh, analogy of alcohol, it's like having an endless supply of alcohol that gets that increases in strength because it's not it's not the strength of the pornography it's like how weird it gets what what gives you that extra thrill that extra shock I shouldn't be doing this this is taboo this is novel this is shocking and you can just go as deep and dark as you know brain can even imagine and I believe that's why pornography is getting so much darker and so much younger and so much more violent because people are just tolerant now and their, their brains are demanding this stuff.
1: You know, I, just the thought of an eight-year-old mm-hmm. observing pornography, it it, it puts my head into a spin. And I think that, you know, I would be, if I were eight in that spot, I would be feeling so ashamed. And I'd be willing to bet that shame just makes it worse, not better.
0: Yeah. It does make it worse. And also it makes your brain remember the activity more potently. So shame is like an extra, your brain like gives it gives those neural pathways extra um, power. So you really, really remember that this was the thing that gave me a thrill, even though it quite freaked me out. So the shame really is an accelerator of that process of getting hooked into this stuff, which is why When you discover your kid's been looking at this stuff, you need to just take a bit of time out and just calm yourself so that you can go to them with an attitude that doesn't heap on the shame. Like, what have you been doing? And because you're just dumping all your fear and shame onto them, you know, your shame of like, oh, my God, I'm a bad parent. How did I not see this? You need to just try and avoid that at all costs by just taking a bit of time out.
1: So what's the first thing that if you would say to your child?
0: Well, fortunately, with my kids, we've been having this conversation a long time. So we <laughs> talk about, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying that to brag, but working in this area, it is my biggest fear. You know, they haven't discovered it yet. Um, but, you know, it, it is a matter of time. And so they're, they're hopefully they're going to come to me and go, oh, I saw it. You know, I, I saw those bad pictures that we've been talking about. So you, you can train them for actually what it is that they're looking for and you can train it in language that is appropriate for them like if they're showing um you know bodies without that are showing the parts that are normally covered by a swimsuit especially with little children you know um you need to uh you you turn you run and you tell so you turn away from it then you run run and find me and then you tell me about it and then we can talk about it i mean i've sort of in my discussions, they have seen things on when we're in hotel rooms and they saw, I don't know, I think it was, it was some sort of comedy zombie movie or something that they'd managed to flick onto a channel and it really freaked them out. And so I was able to use that as an opportunity to say, there's you know this is like swimming we're in california so we have sharks there it's like i wouldn't let you swim in the middle of the ocean on your own there are sharks out there and it's the same on the internet or you know with multiple channels there are sharks out there so we need to be careful and you know they came across a shark as it were this horrible image that made them have you know nightmares that night and so um now they're aware that there are sharks out there and what they're going to look like like horrible images that make them think whoa what's that that looks
1: weird Then they can come and tell me, and then we can talk it through. So, I mean, I think it sounds, to me, it would be a lot easier to have those conversations because you're right. You educate them. You let them know that there's, that you may see this, you may see that. And if you do, it's okay. Just come and let me know about it. That would be an easier conversation for me than to find out that my husband is addicted to porn. And I mean, that's where when I think about what I would say, that's where I truly struggle.
0: Yeah. And it is it is utterly devastating because and, and what's made makes it more especially painful is the the lies that we believe about it. Like this is my fault. I somehow cause this like I can somehow fix this if only I'm more like this or if only I change myself like that. And that's why we've got, you know, rafts of women doing, undergoing like really weird plastic surgery procedures in order to emulate the people that their husbands are are watching, their guys are watching. Um, And and here's the really sad irony. Even porn stars have come forward and said, I can't keep my partner interested because it's not a real experience. Then, you know, uh, that's not what they're after. They don't get the thrill from, uh, you know, a real, intimate, emotionally connected sexual experience. that That's not it. Or even a disconnected sexual experience. It's the multiple uh, aspects of pornography and, you know, that, that sort of taboo, novel, possibly the fact that, just like any other addiction, they're, they're becoming ritualised to going in the room, switching on the computer. You know, that's what's actually getting those chemicals going, which... It's quite a leap for us to to make as sort of partners, but it is an important leap that does help us.
1: Well, I think that, you know, it's hard to want to believe that that's going on. And I think it's a natural tendency to just say, oh, you know, he's just he's just working late. He's just tied up in his or she's just tied up in her email. And it's not just he. It's he and she that struggle with the issue. But I think that, you know, you said in the very beginning, you've got to hit it head on. You've got to put some boundaries down. So if if you were to name three boundaries, what would they be?
0: I'd probably just... I'd, I'd probably narrow it down to one, really, and just have a zero tolerance pol- policy on pornography in our household going forward. It's not going to be part of our household. And uh, it. for me, I wouldn't be able to be sexual with a person after I discovered them, you know, looking at pornography because... I now know the science that the more they're looking at porn, the more they have to be thinking about it to maintain their arousal. So what you're feeling in your body that they're distant, they're not there is actually they've now got the scientific studies to back it up. You know, and, and also from a spiritual perspective, um, he's polluting you. He's bringing this stuff in. And, you know, that's I believe that you know that's not our role. Our role is to stand firm and, and keep everything pure. And, you know, that's what we're fighting for.
1: And I know you've worked with a lot of women. What do you find the success rate is for those women that will stand true? Is it fifty percent? Is it? A, I mean, what percent of them are able to maintain their marriage without porn? Well, it might be easy to say
0: what percentage of women who didn't stand firm. Uh, okay. You know, I've never. It's always required a woman to draw a firm line in the sand, and you know, some women are doing it proactively, calmly dating you know before they've actually experienced too much personal betrayal they're managing to have that conversation and then other people are you know laying down this desperate ultimatum after 40 years of marriage and feeling on their knees but every single woman who's come into recovery has had to draw that firm line in the sand it's a rare occasion when guys actually go oh I'm feeling convicted I'm going to give it up it just doesn't happen
1: well and, and you make a really a, a really good point. It's it's just like the same with alcohol or for, or any other drug. They have to you have to hit bottom. You've got to hit so low that you know you're you can't go any lower. And that's when people will say, "Okay, you know, this is changing my life. This is impacting my family. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my family. Now I'm ready to deal with it." We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we've got lots more to share with you.
0: we we'll back after these messages
1: Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do?
0: During an uncover your hidden genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person.
2: Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Like you've been put on hold for days while trying to reach a customer service agent on the phone? Call me a mythomane because I sure do. That's a person who believes something is true when it isn't. In reality, a recent survey commissioned by Text Message Service Talk 2 found that more than 50% of consumers spend an average of 15 minutes per week on hold, which amounts to 13 hours per year and almost 43 days in a lifetime. According to the survey, Kentucky is the most impatient state, as Kentucky residents will hang up the soonest when placed on hold. What is another word for the fear of waiting for an extensive period of time? Macrophobia. It's Marching Day with I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
0: We're back now. Here is your host Lee Richardson.
1: We're back, and you know we're talking about addiction, but specifically addiction to porn, because I think that you know any addiction or obsession is something that it hurts because it makes you feel terrible for choosing to do it, and it as as Rosie pointed out earlier, it makes you feel like you're the problem. You hate yourself. You want to quit your marriage because you feel like you've you've failed your whole family. And those feelings, they're not facts, they're feelings. And I think while, you know, feelings are important, they don't make anyone who they really are. And Rosie, I mean, how do you how do you explain to people to deal with those feelings?
0: I think what really helps me and what really helped the other women that I work with and also their husbands is is this education piece. It really is a a marvelous aha moment when you realize that your brain has been hijacked and it really isn't your fault. You know, you are. That's what compulsive means. It means you are compelled beyond your control. You 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 find yourself. It's almost like a, you know, a, a trance you know, suddenly compelled to do this stuff. And then, you you know, you can catch yourself. And that's what recovery does. Recovery is actually very um, simple, but it's not easy. Recovery requires you to walk 100 percent in the light and tell the truth on everything you've done and also everything that your crazy brain is telling you. In the present. And so you have to tell other people you cannot heal from this on your own as much as we would like to deal with this quietly in the shadows. You actually need to deal with it in community. Um, And so once you start to um, be able to observe your crazy brain and tell it to somebody else, it actually loses its potency and it enables you to actually activate the thinking part of your brain again and go, okay, we're not going to do that. There are consequences and I remember them now. And I don't want that to happen. Um, But those, those compulsions, they come, they have, they happen that the storms come, but you have to have the tools in place to actually be able to navigate them.
1: You know, when you say recovery, it makes me think of an inpatient um, environment. What does recovery mean to you?
0: That's a good question. And there are inpatient recovery treatment centers. However, the majority of the people I work with, they don't go down that route, although, you know, they can be beneficial if you can afford it. Um, recovery to me means that you both ideally, ideally, this is what I would recommend is both of you get individual trained help. So that the addict would find a certified sexual addictions therapist, someone who is qualified in this to actually speak into the the craziness that you are experiencing and be able to scaffold your reality so that you've got safety guards in place so that you actually can start to navigate these storms and understand what's going on. For the partner, I'd recommend an APSAT trained professional, either a coach or a clinician, and they will help you look at your experience through a trauma lens which is why you now find yourself doing crazy things and and acting in ways that you never used to because this consistent betrayal and deception has traumatized you. So now you're desperately seeking safety and you're doing these bizarre things like trying to control and trying to be the detective and trying to never go out again so he never has a chance to act out again and, and all these physical manifestations in your body. And you really need someone to be able to guide you and validate you on that uh, experience. And then the other part, so you've both got an individual. And the, the second part is you need a group. You need a group of either addicts or partners.
1: Well, do you find, I mean, do you find that some people are ashamed that they're even in the situation? Oh, and okay. a, a group just, because I've I've actually had clients that have dealt with this And, you know, I've I've mentioned outpatient and maybe getting some group therapy, and I don't want to share this in front of other people. I mean, I I can't share this with other people. So I just, I would think that for some that are ready, that are just hurting and so ready, it would work. But for others, that would be a huge barrier.
0: I would say it's almost universal, the shame. Even if you're ready, there is this huge hurdle. And most wives end up in recovery feeling shame, feeling real resentment and anger that they're in this position in the first place. Like, this is not my behavior. And now I have to go to recovery. Now I have to go to a group. And that's totally understandable and totally normal. And unfortunately, the messages that we're given about pornography and pornography addiction, especially as partners, does Add to the shame. Like in the church, the message you get is pretty much uh, the best way to help your guy avoid temptation is to make yourself more sexually available. So obviously, if he's looking at this, there's a problem on your end and you need to up your game. And that is literally the advice that they're given. And it's devastating and it doesn't work. And then the message we're given in the world is that get over yourself, you know, just join in. What's your problem? You're a prude. You know, nobody else has a problem. And so you're caught in this horrible space of like, no, I know this is not right. I know this is affecting me. Um, I know it's not helping us. Um, And do you know what? I'm giving him as much sex as I possibly can. And it's not working. I don't think that's the answer. So there is like, horrendous shame and then once you actually get into recovery and you sit there and you see all the faces of the other nice normal often very beautiful women and you go okay there's something else going on here this is nothing to do with them um there there is there is another power at work here and it really does help but that shame piece is You know, not helped. And it's not helped by the fact, I mean, I go out and speak on this. And when I go out and speak, there's often a big preamble like this is going to be a difficult topic. Brace yourself. And I go, that's kind of part of the problem that somehow this issue, which is the biggest issue, certainly in the church at the moment, is the one that we need to be normalizing, not making a big deal out of.
1: Well, I think that the the church can play a powerful role. And because, I mean, that the church offers a sense of community. And, and to me, the church represents acceptance. I'm always welcome there. And I'm not there to be judged. So I think that bringing the church in that sense of community could be very valuable.
0: Yeah, I mean, it should be. It should be the place where you can go and it should be a hospital for those of us who are broken, which is pretty much everybody. Um, But unfortunately, this is kind of a hot topic that that is misunderstood. And there's still this huge assumption that what a wife doesn't know doesn't hurt her. Like if he's looking at porn, it's not really affecting you. And if he is looking at porn, it's probably something to do with your sex life. So there are there is there is shame and it should be a place where where they are educated and that they understand that no, you know, everybody's a victim here. We're not victimizing him. We're not victimizing her. We're not blaming him or her. They both need a lot of help. And she particularly needs help to set boundaries. And we don't excuse him by saying this is every man's battle and shrugging our shoulders. And, you know, well, don't tell her, it won't affect her. It's like, no, this is affecting her. And he's literally drowning he needs to be not patted on the head and, and said, "This is every man's struggle." He needs help. He needs real
1: accountability and, uh, quite often, um, professional help. Well, you know, I think about it. We've talked about the parent-child relationship. We've talked about the parent, the a spouse relationship. But what about the relationship? Let's say, let's say you're the the husband. And your wife, you know, your wife is engaged in pornography. How do you protect your kids from that?
0: Well, the, the same, the, exactly the same, whether it, if there's pornography in the household, there's pornography in the household. And you need, I mean, the first way you protect it is you get it out of your marriage. That's the fun, that number one thing. I mean, we get caught up on you know, creating external filters, creating internal filters, and it's like there's no point shutting the back door if the front door is wide open. You need to do the hard step of actually addressing it in your marriage and going. We don't want this in our kids' life. We need to get it out of our life, and we need to be, um, we need to be brave enough to actually look at this issue in
1: the face and ask for help. So when there's an elephant in a room. There's an elephant in the room. Yeah. And you you've got to call it out and deal with it.
0: You do. And sometimes that you know, having children is a great catalyst to actually dealing with this stuff. And it, you would be amazed, well, I was certainly amazed at the number of women who are heavily pregnant who end up in recovery. Because it's almost like that precious time of, you know, creating your nest and trying to make it as safe as possible actually gives them the confidence and the conviction to go, okay, we're dealing with this, because although I don't like it in the marriage. There is no way I'm going to tolerate it in a household with my baby anymore. And it just gives them that impetus. So, you know, the the children can be, uh, you know, a motivating factor. And, and on the the flip side, I would also say, if you have dealt with this in your marriage and you've come out the other side, you have a huge advantage in being able to equip your own children because you can, you can come alongside them and say, look, this is highly addictive. You know, um, We've had our own struggles and we know how to get out of them and we're here for you. And the more open and vulnerable you can be about your struggles, age appropriate, of course, um, the more likely it is that they will open up to you. Once they see you as human, it will allow them to be human.
1: That makes total sense to me. It really does. So, you know, I think about it, though. If you've been in, you've been in this marriage and all of a sudden you find out that pornography is an issue. My first thought would be you'll pull back and you don't want any intimacy at all. You're going to avoid that like the plague.
0: And that would be a good, healthy, natural reaction. Unfortunately, you know, our brains don't always give us the natural, healthy reaction. And sometimes women cling harder and they go, right, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to fulfill all his fantasies and compete. Um, even though on a gut level, They're wanting to pull back. They're wanting to still keep that safety of the relationship going by overriding their own sort of instincts. Like, I don't want to be sexual with this guy. However, I feel like I need to be in order to keep myself feeling safe. So one of the the things that you find in recovery is just how this has affected your own sexuality. And having sex for any other reason than you actually want to does impact your own ability to enjoy sex and even uh, want sex.
1: Well, you know, I have a question for you, because the the, the porn that we've talked about is what's, you know, we talked a lot about the internet. So, but is, is it any different whether you're watching it or you're reading it? Is there any difference?
0: Great question. I'm going to, I'm not going to give you an educated answer here because I don't <laughs> have an educated answer. Um, I would, I mean, I think they certainly both affect the brain and they are uh, a intimacy avoidance coping mechanism. So they are both used in the same respect and you can certainly get addicted to that material. However, there's something really potent about internet addiction that really pulls you in because if you're reading a novel, you're not reading a thousand, sorry, maybe not a thousand, maybe 50 novels at the same time. But when people are watching pornography, they have multiple tabs over and they're flicking back and forth, getting hit after hit after hit after hit. And you can just imagine what is going on in your brain when you're just squirting these chemicals like one after another, after another, after another. And it's unlimited. You know, people binge for days. I don't think people are going to binge for days on a romance novel.
1: No, I don't think they are either. And I do know this. The brain places more importance on the visual image than it does on words, um, So I do know that. And either way you go, you've got an issue, no matter how you engage with it, you're yeah. still, you're still, you still have an issue. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, most people can use porn without any negative consequences. Have you ever heard of anybody being able to do that?
0: Um, well, they did an interesting study where they had a control group and a user group and they showed the control group, a documentary, a nature documentary. I think it was for like six weeks, one hour a week. And then the user group, they showed pornography. I think it was mild pornography or one hour a week for six weeks. And then they both gave them both questions. They gave them questions at the beginning and the end of the study. And these were rating partners, attractiveness, sexual performance, and general happiness with the relationship. And guess what they found? Unanimously across the board, if you've been watching porn, you rate your partner lower as a result. So is a small amount of porn okay? I would say no, because it is toxic and it is affecting how you view your spouse or your partner. It really is. It's not like it, it, you know, people go, well, it's, you know, you have an occasional drinker and then you have an alcoholic but the difference is all porn is toxic to
1: your relationship i certainly agree with that i mean you know i i think young people they're looking for ways to self explore and they that could lead them there as you go into puberty your body changes and uh, you don't understand it why you may you may like the way it feels but you may not understand it and so i i can see young people kind of looking as a way this is a way I can discover new things
0: yeah it's been normalized I mean this is the the really scary thing the whole generation you know since the advent of the internet have been groomed to accept and expect pornographic sex they actually have more problem with people who recycle who don't recycle than people who watch pornography there is no stigma there used to be a st- stigma when I was growing up it used to be something that you know Somebody might know somebody who's got some magazines, but it was not, you know, it was not ubiquitous like it is today. But now they're doing it in class, you know, on the school bus. It's just a rite of passage now um, in the schools. And that is when we normalize this level of toxicity, you know, we are in for a lot of problems up the road.
1: Well, and I think it's so important to remember that what you see in porn isn't reality. Right. Oh, thank goodness.
2: Although
0: yeah. it is uh, it is changing the way that people are having sex. You know, there are uh, you know, I can't remember the exact statistics, but they did, uh, you know, a survey of young women who've now been choked during sex. And it was an astonishing number because, you know, that's now a thing now that it never was before and all sorts of other things. That I'm not going to go into here. Um, but, you know, a lot of
1: pornographic practices are now mainstream. That just I don't understand how that could be yeah. considered desirable. Um, you know, I guess it's you know, but it's but it's hitting the emotional level. And if that's you know, if if someone says this is the way I feel more connected, then okay. I don't understand that. I
0: know, and now we've got, you know, women having sex the way they don't want to, and men having sex they don't the way they don't want to. It's like I just wish they could talk to each other and say I know. I know that this is what we're expected to do because this is expected of our culture and our, you know. But but actually, I don't want to do this. And the other person goes, No, neither do I. I wish there could actually be that level of conversation. But when you're, I mean, you only need to look at sort of, you know, the the media that is being pushed at the youth today. If you look at sort of Cosmo, the articles that are in there, I think it, the, the, there's a Cosmo for women fourteen to twelve to seventeen or something. The articles there are absolutely Shocking in my view, and I'm not that easily shocked. But, but what they're, what they're proposing as normal and what they need to be educated on age 12 is unbelievable.
1: Wow. So in your book, you've got a book, Fight for Love, and you kind you you approach it from a biblical battle plan. Talk to us about that. I do. It's kind of my friend lovingly described
0: it as the idiot's guide to porn addiction. Um, and, uh, because it, 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 I wanted a quick, easy read that basically took all the information that you kind of need to know in those early days when you're reeling, when you're going, is it my fault? Do I, you know, will I ever trust him again? What's going on? What do I need to do? Does this mean he's a pedophile? You know, all those horrible, scary thoughts and, and put it into, uh, an, an easily digestible format. So, part of it is cliff notes i go into the science behind what's going on in his brain and this is why you know this is what is happening in your relationship um there's a bit of memoir in there i didn't really want to go a little bit of memoir but apparently it makes me more relatable um you know just so uh, you know i i have lived it and this is my experience and then the other part is this biblical battle plan like what does the bible say about um, what to do when your husband is, you know, in habitual sin. What is your role? What is the most loving thing to do? Um, and that was fascinating. So I just want you to equip women with both the facts and the faith and this sort of validation piece and hope as well. I mean, there's lots and lots of stories. This isn't just my story. Um, in our, rec- We have a recovery community on the central coast of California here, and my husband is a CSAT. So we work with lots and lots of What co- is a CSAT? Oh, a cert- CSAT is a certified sexual addictions therapist. Oh, okay. So he deals with this all day long. So, but he suffered from this too, correct? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, which is what motivated him to, uh, you know, now I'm free. I want to help other people get free. And nobody knows an addict like an addict, which is wonderful. So he can really call them on their stuff, which is what you need when your brain's not working. Um. So in the book, I've uh, managed to incorporate lots of stories of other women in the community. And I think that's what is so helpful because you might not relate with my story, but you might relate with somebody else's. And then the podcast that we started, um, we started as a panel. It's a bit like The View, but we just talk about pornography and it was myself and four other wives. Here are stories. Here's everything we had to learn the hard way. And this is what recovery sounds like. This is what it feels like. These are these are the sort of things that we talk about. And I wanted to give people a taste of what it what it feels like to actually, you know, they can eavesdrop on what we chat about and realize that it's not scary. And actually, it's quite liberating to be around people who are being that honest. And you realize that you're not that different, really. And what's going on in your marriage isn't that crazy and uncommon. It's actually quite common. And people have come through it and on, are on the other side. And they're so... They're so thankful for the process of recovery that they're willing to actually go on the air and tell other people their story, which is quite a testimony.
1: Well, and I think just hearing how others have worked, done the work, worked through it and come out on the other side gives hope. OK, yeah. this, this can be done. This is not this doesn't have to destroy my marriage. This doesn't have to break up my my whole family. And more than that,
0: it because, and I'm really glad that you brought that up, Lee, Um, what we're fighting for here, and why we're called Fight for Love, is we're not fighting for our same old marriage, minus the pornography. We're fighting for a brand new marriage, a marriage that has a level of intimacy and authenticity, vulnerability, trust, love, sexual connectedness that we never had before. And that's the, that's the main driver that we did this, because we're like, Come and join us. It's much better on the other side. You don't have to suffer in silence. And this is really worth fighting for. You know, if you really dig in, both of you, you're going to have the sort of level of connectedness in your marriage that it takes people, you know, 30, 40 years to get there, if at all, because you're forced, you're forced to get really honest and vulnerable with other people and with your spouse. Well,
1: and part of that vulnerability is shame and trust um and i think that that's i would think would be key to getting through it is you got to be vulnerable you gotta show up have the courage to show up as who you really truly are
0: yeah and that's hard it's really hard and a lot of us you know myself included there's a lot that i actually identified with my addicted husband in the fact that i hid a huge part of myself never really shared it with anyone So I've actually grown in huge strides in my own ability to be intimate with other people because I was forced to, because, you know, he did his work and I had to do my work. So this was a really unexpected gift, not one I
1: ever wanted, but there we go. (laughs) But one I'm sure you're thankful that you have.
0: Yeah. And I want to give it to other people and go, life can be so much better. And not just the porn in your marriage, but in every single relationship, children, friends, family, everything.
1: Well, I think, you know, we were talking about vulnerability and and I think a lot of us, we don't want to feel those hard feelings, you know, that we don't want to deal with those. So we just kind of tend to selectively get numb. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm all for numbing out. It's one of my (laughs) (laughs) favorites.
0: Give me a good Jane Austen.
1: I'm away. There you go. And I think that, you know, uncertainty has really been vague when you look at what's certain. I don't know. Uh, what's uncertain is, I don't know. So I think uncertainty and certainty plays a role in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I have learned so much in, in talking with you about pornography. And I've learned that, you know what, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. This is an addiction like any other addiction. But in the last, you know, in the last couple of minutes we have, if you had several points to give people, what would the takeaways be that you want them to take with them?
0: I would, I would say a porn-free marriage is possible and it's worth fighting for. There is hope. There is freedom. You're not alone. There is a huge community of wives who are ready and waiting to embrace you and just wrap their arms around you and say, you're going to get through this, honey, and we're right here for you. You only have to reach out for help.
1: How do you do with your the rest of your family? Do you have to share that with? I mean, does your aunt and uncle need to know or I mean, how? No, go to
0: safe people, go to safe, qualified people first, because otherwise, you know, you're going to have to manage other people's anxiety on top of your own because people don't really understand about porn addiction and they have all these false assumptions. So go to safe places. So go to those organizations and those ministries who know what they're talking about first get strengthened and then it's your decision whether you want to tell other people.
1: I think that's a you know that's an important point that you make because sometimes when we' we feel desperate, we run to the first place that you know the first place we can and it's not always the best place. Um, it's a place that we think is safe and secure and, and perhaps isn't. So those are two really good points that you've shared with us. What else comes to mind? Because our listeners want to have a good idea on, on how they're going to cope, what strategies that they can use.
0: Well, I, I'm fortunate to say here's one I prepared earlier. Um, go and check out our podcast, free resource. And there all those early questions that you're going to have, uh, we answer in detail. And it's a great way to find out about other ministries because we feature people who work in lots of different fields, and it's it's just an easy, quick, non-threatening way to get a lot of information quickly.
1: And I think that's so important that you can take that in in the privacy of your own home, yep. and that you do that at a time when you're ready to process it, you know, because you have to be ready to be able to process what you hear and, and what you see. So I appreciate very much that, you sharing that with our listeners today. Is there anything else that comes to mind?
0: Um, just check out the resource page on our website. And from that, you can springboard to all other wonderful organizations who are also giving you information for, You know how to deal with, deal with this as a parent, how to look in the, the brain, the neurochemistry of what's going on. Just there's a huge amount of resources there and podcasts to listen to other people's podcasts.
1: Well, one thing you've talked about throughout the the conversation is education, and you just told people how to do it. So what I'd like to do is make sure that people understand if they'd like to learn more about you and they want to connect with you, how could they do that?
0: Fightforloveministries.org. There you'll find the podcast, the book, um, and lots and lots of resources.
1: That's great. Thank you so much for being with us today, sharing your your story and everything that you've learned. You are very welcome.
0: On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening.
2: If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeart Radio, Spotify.